Good morning and welcome to Blueprint for Wealth. I'm Wayne Zell, your host of this very fast-paced half hour of special topics and special guests that will help you realize your personal dreams of wealth and freedom. The show is brought to you by the full-service law firm of Odin, Feldman, and Pittleman, located in Fairfax, Virginia, but serving the entire Washington, D.C. metro area and clients all across the country. If you'd like to know more about the firm, visit us on the web at www.ofplaw.com, or if you'd like to make an appointment, call us at 703-218-2100. I also invite you to subscribe to my blog, blueprintforwealth.org, where we have audio, videos, and articles of interest in the areas of tax, estate planning, and business planning, probably enough to keep you busy for a couple of days. So please subscribe to the blog and learn everything you need to know about those topics. And lastly, I invite you to read my monthly column in the Washington Business Journal entitled Blueprint for Wealth, where I talk about tax, estate planning, and corporate law and business planning topics of interest. Today, we're going to be talking about some common estate planning mistakes. I I usually have a top 10 or a top 5 or a top 7. Today are going to be my top 4, and I've done this in the past where we've talked about some estate planning mistakes that we make, but these are ones that I see repeated over and over and over again, either by clients or prospective clients, and I think you need to be aware of this. Number one, having outdated or unsigned estate planning documents. I can't tell you how many times I've had people walk into my office with documents that they thought they had signed, but actually never did. In fact, we've got some some clients who hired us two and three years ago and still have not come in to sign their documents. They've walked in uh, to my office also with documents that may be as old as 10, 20, or even 30 years old. Now, some of the reasons that people behave this way are that, you know, for example, you really don't want to deal with death. (laughs) Estate planning deals with with the concepts of not only life planning, but also planning for the inevitable. And so people don't want to deal with it. And that's a very common reason and a good excuse for not having dealt with these issues. But still, it's no excuse for not taking care of your family and your heirs. So, uh, uh, you know, not signing the documents, not a good thing. Um, also, not, not, not only not wanting to talk about their own death, but denying the pl- plausibility or possibility that they made <laughs> demise in the, uh, in the future. Uh, the Scarlett O'Hara defense, I'll worry about it tomorrow. Um, another common excuse for not having updated or signed documents is not wanting to pay an attorney either to review the documents or revise them. And it's well worth the cost, believe me, depending on your situation, to have somebody review the documents with you in person and talk to you about what your wishes are and what your goals and objectives are so to make sure that the documents actually reflect what your desired outcomes are. There also may be the inability to make a decision on the choice of an executor or the choice of a trustee or somebody who is going to be named as the guardian of your minor children. Those are difficult choices, but a good, competent attorney can give you alternatives in structuring those choices so that it may not be quite as difficult as you thought. How do I motivate you to walk in sooner? How does an estate planner motivate any client to walk in sooner? Well, 
You know, your CPA, who is the gatekeeper of all financial information, and for the most part is meeting with or speaking with you at least once a year, is a good starting place. And we work closely with the CPAs around the community to make sure that their clients are being taken care of from the estate planning perspective. It's also wise when you're discussing tax returns to lead the discussion about financial planning and then into estate planning. A coordinated financial approach with the CPA and the estate planning lawyer is essential to a successful financial and estate plan. The second most common estate planning mistake that I see is a lack of coordination between your estate planning documents, the titling of assets, how they're actually titled, and how is the estate taxes, if any, are going to be paid following your death. Many years ago, as as many as 25 or 30 years ago, most of my clients owned most of their assets in their individual names or jointly held with their spouse. At death, the assets pass through the will to the named beneficiaries, assuming that there was a will. Virtually all wills contained a standard clause that mandated that any debts, administration expenses, funeral expenses, and estate taxes be paid from the residue, what's left over in the estate. It's a common pool of assets that are not specifically bequeathed to any one individual and pass as a basket to all of the beneficiaries in the shares that you announce in the will, often equally. Well, times have changed. For many clients, a significant amount of net worth is not held in individual name and, in fact, does not even pass under the terms of a will, but rather by contract or operation of law to the heirs. Assets that pass by contract using a designation of beneficiary include life insurance, annuities, and, most importantly, retirement assets. If you name certain individuals as a beneficiary of those assets, and then you leave a will that specifies that the residue, anything that's left over in their name but not specifically bequeathed, will pass to someone else, and then you direct that the estate taxes are are to be paid from the residue, you may have inadvertently disinherited the residuary beneficiary. Why? Because the retirement assets or life insurance that pass by operation of a designated beneficiary may be exempt from the estate taxes because of what you've said in the will or in your trust. So remember, the will, your beneficiary designations, and all of the documents that you have, your trusts, are importantly integrated, and you need to have all of that information in front of the estate planner so the estate planner can make an informed decision. Instead of doing what I just described, you could have apportioned expenses and estate taxes among the recipients of the assets so that whenever an asset asset was designated to go to a specific beneficiary like life insurance, it would bear its proportionate share of the expenses and the taxes. Understanding the consequences of how apportioning the tax against residue plays out becomes even more complicated when you've made taxable gifts during your lifetime. When that happens, the valuation of the gift is taken into account in determining the taxable estate. It's actually added back to the taxable estate. But the asset is 
very likely to be long gone. It may be spent or retitled or sent on to another place. So when significant gifts have been made, it's really important to understand the donor's intent as to who should bear the burden of taxes ultimately upon the donor's death. Another common mistake in estate planning is a lack of understanding that a transfer of even $1 is a gift and may have gift tax consequences. It never ceases to amaze me how many of my clients believe that selling real estate or another asset to a child for even a dollar is a sale and not a gift. This lack of understanding that the transfer, in fact, was a taxable gift can wreak havoc on your estate plan and on the composition of your overall taxable estate. Today's world is transparent. It's easy for any estate tax auditor at the IRS to access the registry of deeds in any local jurisdiction and find out about the history of land transfers. In fact, today the auditors routinely do so. They look at the land records. Recently, I was involved in an IRS audit in which the auditor, through a national database, delivered a very thick package of all of the parcels of real estate the client had owned during her lifetime throughout the country and delivered it to me. The package included deeds to the decedent and deeds from the decedent. The IRS auditor sent a summary letter asking for the details of each transfer. They asked what the fair market value was at the time of the transfer, what they received in exchange for the transfer, what the consideration was, and whether the parties to the transaction were related and what happened to the proceeds after they were received. This obvious mistake, this obvious detrimental mistake, needs to be avoided at all costs. Simply retitling a piece of real estate into a child's name is a gift for gift tax purposes. Maybe using some of your lifetime gift tax exemption as well as your annual exclusion and therefore subject the estate to potential increase later on as a result of having to add back that gift. It's this lack of comprehension that a transfer for less than adequate and fair value consideration is a gift or maybe a partial gift and a partial sale, and it has consequences for state tax purposes. The fourth common mistake I'm seeing over and over again is that life is a movie. It's not a snapshot. Planning is a process that never ends. It begins when there are assets or young children and should evolve and become more complicated or less complicated as life progresses. There are different issues that you as a client face as you pass through various stages of life. Whether you're single, married, divorced, widowed, remarried, there are different stages. In each of these phases, your focus should be on what's meaningful in that phase. And for this to work, it's important that you remain engaged in a discussion with your advisors, your tax planners, your estate planners about planning, and that the planning not be so complicated that it stuns you into paralysis. And it also shouldn't be so complex that you finish the phase and you're reluctant to move on to the next one. So with that in mind, we invite you to call us at Odin Feldman and Pittleman at 703-218-2100 for guidance on your lifetime journey 
into estate planning and financial planning. I'm Wayne Zell, and you're listening to Blueprint for Wealth.